Hey everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, you know who it is, and it is a brand new episode of the Needle Drop Podcast, where on this episode, I have a very special guest, all of my guests are special, I call them all very special, Mm. I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to tell the audience uh, specific things that you do, and, and you tell me whether I've gotten them right or wrong. Gotcha. Okay. My, my guest here, he's an illustrator. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's an animator. Mm-hmm. He is a Kendrick Lamar impersonator. Mm-hmm. He's... <laughs> That's my Kendrick impression. Is, yeah, just doing the mm-hmm. He is a uh, DC inhabitant. Mm-hmm. He's a podcaster and one half of the double Ds. Mm-hmm. He's a broken dick expert. Mm-hmm. My, my dick's broken right now. Keep going. He is a <laughs> an amateur hostage negotiator. Uh, I didn't know. Yeah, you know, actually, yeah. If there's a hostage out there right now, I can I can get him out in one piece. And also a sexual exhibitionist. Uh, I uh, mm, uh, how many how many shitty glitched out voice. <laughs> things can I do right now? No. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I am. All right. And, uh, and also, as I just learned, um, a bit of an emotional eater. Yes. That is the most true out of all of those. I'm more of an emotional eater than I am an illustrator. That's my first <laughs> profession is eating whenever I'm nervous. Oh, how much, <laughs> how, how much does that, does that pay? You get paid per emotional. Eating. Per emo- like you get paid per like, uh, basically the uh based on the feelings you get so you you're weighed you're weighed beforehand and you have these electrodes mm-hmm. on your body and then you go and eat and then they test the brain waves after you eat that twinkie and then you're like oh the more brain waves you get uh whatever whatever sort of uh measure that is the more money you get yeah well it it pays i i thought it paid in pounds which i thought maybe you should move out to the uk that's that's legal oh. tender over there oh Joey's- that was, a, like a that, was like a that was a zinger. That was a Hey, man, I've heard some of your fucking jokes on that podcast. Well, stinkers, man, like 90% of them. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've been a fan of, uh, of, of yours for a while. Ooh, um, actually, actually, since you, you uh, hit me up and was like, hey, man, you want to do an interview? And prior to that, I don't know how much I, I knew of your stuff. Had you seen probably. any of my stuff before then? I don't think I came across it because at the time, I mean, your channel was pretty small. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah although at, at the time, I was pretty impressed with uh, some of the interviews that you had pulled up until that point. Uh, you were doing an interview series where you would draw a portrait of uh, whoever you had had onto the interview. Yeah, man. That, that was the that was the idea that really uh, kicked me off, I guess. I, I guess uh, uh, you have a background in IT, correct? Is I that, do. I do. That's my day job do. that I hate, that I'm desperate to leave. Okay. And um, so when exactly did you start to kind of, uh, not to get into a conversation about something that you hate, uh, but, you know, has technology and mm. computers, has that been a passion for as long as drawing has been or for not as long or was this career move just kind of something that you knew would sort of pay the bills and you knew could kind of supplement you know your income and your lifestyle as you're sort of pursuing uh uh, illustration and animation that's a really good question um the short answer is that i think 
I loved computers equally as much as drawing since I was like six. That's when we got our first Mac, like a Performa, I think Performa 575 or something. And I remember, um, this is going to sound cliche, but I remember getting that computer. I remember how that computer smelled. I remember the sounds it would make. I remember interfacing with this thing and being like, and I, I wouldn't get the internet for like seven years after that, but I remember every day I'd spend hours on this machine and just, we didn't, we didn't play outside that much. I grew up in a, a really shitty part of Brooklyn back in, in the late nineties, like um, way before gentrification, but it was like shitty. So it was a good thing for us to be inside on the computer. And I just, um, yeah, interfacing with it, it just felt natural. It felt like I needed, I wanted and needed to know everything about this machine as much as possible. Not that I'm a computer expert, but I mean, eventually I ended up getting a job because I mean, I'm, I'm decent. I'm decent enough at that stuff. But um, I think the drawing, like I said, I've been doing it since I was like six. But I think I I didn't have an idea that it was going to be a thing. It was a, something that I was good at or just decent at until I was like in eighth grade. And then from then, it's just been a steady kind of me trying to figure out where I fit into the where, where I fit into all of this and whether or not anyone would whether or not I can make a difference and, and sort of make any kind of money off of it. I'm still trying to learn that stuff. I kind of get this feeling uh, that the computers and, and that sort of technology is something that um, you kind of took naturally to, whereas drawing wasn't necessarily something that you were good at off the bat and that you needed to kind of teach yourself. But what was driving you to do that was was passion. Yeah, man. I think a lot about that word. I don't even... I, I really do think about that because I don't know that the traditional way we use the words talent and passion are even, I don't know that it's even relevant. I mean, like, but in answer to your question, um, drawing for me, drawing for me was, I, I was always a creative kid. Like you could ask me a question, like you could ask my six year old self, like, okay, where do, where do flies come from? And I could make a story for you. That's not, that's still to this day. It's not hard for me. You can ask me something. I'll just make up some bullshit out of my head. So I think I always had that, whatever that thing is that's installed in you, that's like, you give me a blank piece of paper. Like I'm, I'm dog shit at math, but if you give me a blank sheet of paper, I'll give you a story. I'll give you some made up shit. But, uh, drawing for me, I don't think, yeah, I, I'm still not the, not the best draftsman. If you just, if, if I'm going based only on, um, my drawing abilities, I'm not the best. I, I'm never going to be. And that's one thing that I had to learn. I think like three, four years ago, I really learned that. Like I was trying to be for the longest time. I was trying to be one of these guys who spends like 60 hours on a painting. And then it's just this still image that you just hang on your wall. That was my idea of what a good drawing or good art was. And I didn't – I it wasn't until I really started becoming honest with myself about what my capabilities were and what I loved doing that I started doing stuff that was uh, sort of – like my, my best work started when I realized I like when things move and they don't necessarily need to look finished, but they need to move and they need to – I like when images move and talk and sort of do more than just sit there and look pretty with one frame. Were you uh, enamored with animation as a kid? Because I kind of feel like uh, 
our generation, especially in the 90s uh, and, and in the 80s too, uh, exposed to an incredible amount of animation. Actually, may, maybe more the 90s than the 80s because, you know, a lot of cartoons were kind of relegated to, uh, you know, sort of Saturday morning or just kind of when kids might be watching TV just in general, whereas... Mm. Uh, a platform like Nickelodeon in the nineties was just throwing animation at you from night until day. Yeah. Um, uh, although, you know, they had Nick at night. So you were watching the oldie shows on there, which I don't even know if they do that as much as they used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much all afternoon you were just seeing cartoons, cartoons, yep. cartoons, cartoons, cartoons. And I think as a result of that, um, people who grew up during that decade kind of have a, uh, a bit of, uh, I guess a soft spot for animation in general to the point where, you know, a lot of them grow up and, uh, they continue watching shows like adventure time mm-hmm. and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and also when those people grow up, I mean, you have more animation and more, and, and more cartoons, but, uh, they're for adults now, uh, you yeah. know, it's South park, it's adult swim, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Simpsons. Although, you know, that was, a um, already kind of a, I guess, a, a bit of an institution in the 90s. But that show was, you know, one of the first of its kind to be as successful as it was, an animated show that was just more for adults. Yeah, I watched so much Simpsons. I watched a lot of cartoons. But I would I would say that I think it – I would argue that it transcends generations. And I say this because of – I love watch. I, I love art in general, but even more than that, sometimes I think it's really important, and I I love to watch people consume art. You go through museums and you see, like, look at someone looking at a painting versus looking at a video. It's like how much time are they spending on each one? I would argue that from babies to grown ass people, grown ass being uh, uh, like forty, uh, thirty and above, I think people sure. are very much drawn to things that move and make noises because that's Hmm. it's it it tickles a different part of your brain something that still is i mean i'll just call it like it is it's not moving and there's there's less colors like there's a reason that well anything that's going to stimulate more senses at once you know is 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 going to unquestionably attract more people right so it has it has more to it and again that was another that was a big revelation for me. It's like I can't do one thing really good. I'm never going to be able to paint really good. But I know that I mean, one of the compliments I get, probably one of the biggest compliments I get, it's nothing physical. Like the 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 biggest compliment I get in my life is that people like my voice. They'll say, oh, you have a deep, deep voice. You should do radio. You should do something like that. And it sort of clicked with me once. And it's like I have – all of these things, I, I have all these things in this bowl. And it's like, let me just talk and draw and do all this other, like, whatever it is that I can do, let me just do it all at once. And what does that look like? So mm. the, the idea being, it's like you use your voice with your drawing, with um, anything else th- th- that's that's available to you to make something that's uniquely you. So, yeah, you're right. Like, stimulating more senses than just one. Because I can't, I feel like I can't get someone with just me... Um, with just a still image, I need for it to move. I need for the sounds to be incorporated. I need to do as much as possible to make something that's that's me. Do, do you, would you say that you're the type of artist? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think I already know how you're going to answer this, but it seems to me like you're the type of artist who. 
really kind of, you know, is is where they are simply off of just kind of a, uh, I don't want to use the word passion again mm. because it kind of yeah yeah no like it's a, fun you know but but I guess kind of just a focus and a drive that comes from just an interest in in that sort of thing versus I don't know what what some people would just call some kind of raw talent that comes out of nowhere. Uh, I see what you're getting. You at. know, I now people would argue that. I've, and I have argued with people and people will say, yeah, you're talented. That's why you're, you are where they are. And any day I would rather have someone call me passionate and say that I worked for whatever it is that I have because that's that's the reality is like I, I'm i obsessed with getting – hey, what's going on? It's my roommate. Um, obsessed with getting better and doing doing the best possible job. And if I'm doing better than I was a month ago or a year ago, I I think that's that's great. But I do have – a really strong work ethic. So sure. Yeah. And I, I'll take that any day over the guy who could draw really well from the beginning, but is making stuff that's not that exciting or they're not that happy about it. Cause I, I'm loving this every moment. Are there truly guys like that? Um, mm. or, you know, is, is that, uh, or is that just something that we assume kind of like what you were saying with, uh, you know, that person who you just uh, just brought up kind of as an example? Uh, you know, we're, we're not audience to that person's process of kind of teaching themselves to draw from the beginning. Right. So as a result, when we come across them doing what they do, we're just like, oh, yeah, that guy's just got he's just raw talent. He's just been amazing since he probably picked up a pencil. I think there are people like John Singer Sargent is one of my favorite artists, and he's He's like what you imagine when you think of uh, painting from the 1900s and earlier. Uh, well, let's say just the 1900s painting. This guy, you look him up, incredible draftsman. And this guy, if you look at some of the stuff he was doing it with, like from 12 or 13, it's like right out of the gate. He was just smashing, just sma- like effortless. When he when he needed to learn how to paint someone's nose, he would just do it like a few times. And he would just – not that he didn't work hard, but I think there are – definitely people who just their aptitude is higher like you only need to show them something a, f- a few times or just once and then it's like, like they have it like they know how to draw a nose for the rest of their life and there's some people unfortunately it's like it's going to take them 500 times to figure out how to draw that nose but your question's like are there people who who no i mean you pretty much answered oh, okay it, okay you know you pretty you pretty much answered it um uh, but, uh, but, but going, uh, a little bit further back, uh, you, you went to art school, correct? Yeah. I went to the university of Maryland and it's, it's a research university. It's, it's, it's science and tech and research, but they have an art program there. I just say art, art school. I mean, that's, I went to the art program in Maryland, so I got an art degree from there. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were, were you, were you studying computers over there at the same time nope. or? No? Yeah. I, I got my job on a kind of a fluke. Um, cause I was, I was lucky and I was good at computers and people like, I know how to get along with people. And those are get, being able to get along with people is a huge, huge skill. Um, anywhere you go, if people like you, they will things, good things will just happen to you for you from you trying to be good and, and link people up. But, um, yeah, this, yeah, I, I studied studio art and over there it was pretty much. Their main, they were kind of an abstract art school, and they still are. Like the, 
when you go to art school, your your faculty determines what kind of curriculum you have, obviously, like what kind of stuff you're taught is the good art. So if you go in there, like a lot of kids will go to school being like, oh, anime and manga and Batman is like, that's the best kind of art. Stuff like concept design, Star Wars paintings, like that's the good stuff. But they would mm. they would kind of try and beat that out of the kids and, and teach them about Picasso and um, uh, I, I don't know um, – you know, uh, Rothko and whoever else you can think of who's kind of abstract. Uh, now, you you grew up in New York. Uh, what what exactly attracted you to that particular university? Oh, I moved. You know, I moved you, down. You live. You were living there at the time. No, no, I moved down here when I was. I moved down to the Maryland D.C. area when I was eight. So it was it was local. It was the best the best uh, school that was local to me at the time. I was super religious, so like. I had my my foot still kind of in the door of of being a Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness, so I I didn't want to leave too far. Hmm. So yeah, I was a commuter. Okay, and and that's another thing I kind of wanted to ask you about. You know, uh, uh, growing up uh, with Haitian parents who um, you you were born in the U.S. Or yeah, I was, I was born, in, born in the U.S. Yeah. Okay, um, and uh, and and your parents, uh, you know, what what is it sort of you know like? Uh, I guess in, in your experience, if you could kind of uh, quantify it or kind of put it succinctly in any kind of way, I mean, you know, I, I think it's one thing to sort of grow up black in this country, mm-hmm. but it's also, well, you know, another thing to grow up black, but uh, have parents who are, you know, first generation uh, immigrants, yeah, yeah, man. Um, uh, you know, fresh off the boat, I guess, yeah. as a lot of people would say, um, you know, that has to be an entirely different um, experience in and of itself. And also for them to, you know, have this very specific sect of Christianity kind of, uh, be their belief system. I mean, it just kind of seems like there's a lot of, uh, sort of separators there between you and sort of what you would just call mainstream culture. Absolutely. And I think back, back then, I think I used to feel, I think everyone feels different, but like you said, there were a lot of separators and the religion specifically, it was like, they wanted you to separate yourself and they there were all sorts of things you're talking about the people that run the church yeah yeah that's yeah that's how it works the people in there sort of teach you to separate yourself like i didn't whenever there was like um uh christmas or halloween celebrations in elementary school i had to tell the teacher that i I couldn't be there and she would send me out of the class like stuff like that but in Mm -hmm. in hindsight all of these things really reinforced i think my ability to just if i'm sitting even though I'm I'm sitting by myself anywhere, I can just I can just zone out and start thinking about stories or whatever. I don't know if mm. and I don't know if these things would have would have been inside of me if if all these I, I guess separators weren't there, but I do know it's something that very comes very easily to me. Um and I'm also not I am aware that I like when I was growing up, uh it's like I got accused of talking white all the time. People would just make fun of you for reading and shit like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't go to good schools. I'm to public schools. But, like, I never felt as though what I was doing was wrong. Like, I never felt like I needed to give in to be like anybody else. Because that's – I guess that's sort of like the Haitian component where it's like you're not like these people anyway. And I don't know if – I don't know if you know this, but, like, it, it's like Haitian people – like, 
uh, immigrants don't see themselves as whatever it is that, that like they don't see themselves as black people like Haitians come here like and they're Haitians they're not black like blacks are like black Americans and they oh, yeah, for better or for worse they see themselves as different so it's like you're not like those kids and it's just it was like instilled in me it's like I, sh- I should never consider myself like them whatever it is that they're doing that's their business I'm sort of on this path so if I'm if I'm sitting there reading novels and comic books in gym class which is what I was doing it's like I'm on the right path whatever those other kids were telling me was sort of like eh. but on the flip side i can think of a lot of haitian kids who just who didn't who who did sort of i don't know assimilate to whatever like and and behave however like the american kids were i guess no i i, I mean i i sort of expected that answer i mean you know the uh, my father um is a uh, uh and awarded you know, weightlifting coach and, uh, I I never knew this. Uh, yeah. And then one of his, um, uh, you know, closest friends who he trained and, you know, he trained at powerlifting meets with, you know, he's Mm. Haitian as well. And, um, you know, they pretty much have the same, uh, the, the same opinion about, um, you know, what it is to be Haitian versus what it is to be kind of categorized in America as, as black. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's, it seems like, you know, you just, uh, you just had so many things going for you at a young age that were against the the cultural grain of of where you were, and it, it kind of seems like, uh, you know, you just kind of shrugged it off and you're just like, oh, whatever, you know, I'm just doing what I do, despite the fact that it's not what everybody else is doing. Yeah, it's because you just, uh, and I, I wish I wish more kids could could think like me. Look at me, this this beacon of hope in, in the black Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, just, just rain, rain the, the accolades upon me. No, but um, I would have, I remember distinct moments in my life, and my brother was also a big influence on me, We're just like, because he and I, he's the only other person who had the exact same upbringing as me, so I could talk to him about this all the time, but like, mm-hmm. so he also reinforces like, these ideas about like, okay, so it's okay for me to be a dork and do whatever, but I remember... He, he wasn't really interested in fitting in either? Oh, absolutely not. No, less than me, because he doesn't... Oh. This thing that I have about reaching out to people and making art and all these magical things that sort of move around and make noises so I can get girls to pay attention to me or whatever, whatever the fuck reason I'm doing all this and reaching out for attention or love from people. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm also aware that this is this thing that I need, which is, I mean, it may be like, uh, the nature nurture thing where I just, it's just inside of me anyway. But, um, what the fuck was I going to talk about? I was going to make a, I was going to make a great point. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, I could, I could go off of that if, if you don't know what your point I, is. I, I do, I, I, I do remember. I, th- okay. Just real quick. I remember there were distinct moments in, in my life, like reading my first Stephen King book and mm-hmm. feeling like, I don't know who this guy is who wrote this, but I was probably like in seventh grade. And I didn't know, I don't know who this person is, but they, they sort of, understand me on some wavelength like i'm tapping into something i think i actually might have been sixth grade when i started reading his books his books but that was a super influential thing for me and from then it's like you're reading even more weirder books and like okay there are other people out there who are who have these fucking weird thoughts like i do and it's not it's not bad you know that's funny because um you know i've 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 heard a lot of people say certain things like that about you know, certain pieces of art or certain artists of whatever medium, but I've, I've never had, uh, 
that kind of uh, experience, honestly, when I've enjoyed much of of anything. So you're uh, saying when you were younger, you never had that moment where you're like, I'm connecting with this person and they, they sort of get me. I know that sounds cliche. You never had no, no, no. I, I really haven't. And I, I know it does sound cliche. I mean, I've heard it a lot of times. You were big in the punk scene and all that, right? I was. But the thing is, like, I never really got the 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 sensation that when I was listening to something, you know, and let's just use music as an example, yeah. because music is, is what, you know, I enjoyed the most uh, when I was, you know, younger and what I enjoy the most now. Uh, but I've, I've never listened to a record and, and gotten the sensation that, man, this person gets me, you know, um, I, 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 I think the closest I've come to that is that, you know, I listen to the record and I feel like I understand the artist or at least what I think the artist is portraying themselves as. Yeah. And, and I think that that's really interesting. Um, you know, but, but the thing is, it's, it's that kind of emotional connection. It's that kind of point of view that, that, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, causes the situation when I review something negatively and then somebody's like, fuck this asshole. You <laughs> right, know, this, this guy, yeah. be, because, because the thing is, you know, a lot of people when, when you don't like an album or don't like a movie or something, you know, that, that, uh, that they feel like, you know, this gets me, uh, you know, when you critique that, when you dislike that, it's like you're critiquing them, right? you know, and, and you're disliking them because some people feel like this, re this represents me. You know, um, and, and I think that there are some records out there that I really enjoy that maybe I, I think I might connect with on an ideological level, or maybe, uh, maybe I could say if, if my personality was a record, it, it, it could sound like this, or it would be this specific album or something. Mm -hmm. But, uh, um, uh, but even so, when I go to eat up the finer details, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't like that. Or, you know, I would never say that or, or something. Or what about now? You know? Okay, we're not talking about your 10-year-old self. Now, are there moments where you consume a piece of art, visual performance, you know, a quesadilla, some Cheetos, you eat something, whatever, and you, and you think to yourself, this is tr transcendent. This thing is what I've been looking for. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, but it's, I, I don't think it's uh, I, th I think having a moment of ecstasy and transcendence with art is different than feeling like the art represents you or that the okay, artist okay. kind of this, gets what, you what in some kind of way. What we're dancing you know? around now, it might be a semantic thing. It might be we might have to sort of describe what does it mean? I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think so. I, I think they're two very different things. And I think they're different things in the, in this way. I think. I think the transcendent kind of thing, and you can tell me if yeah, I'm yeah, wrong, yeah. if this is not how you're imagining it. To me, the transcendent thing, the, 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 the thing that is so amazing, it's kind of like, um, you know, staring at a wonderful, huge, gigantic piece of architecture or something that's just so huge and awe inspiring. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so grand and so amazing and so well executed that, uh, uh, it really has nothing to do with you whatsoever. You're just in awe of its greatness. Okay. Uh, of course, you know, that's all based on your perception. So it has a lot to do with you, but you know, uh, I'm not really thinking of myself at all when I'm thinking of those moments. I mean, I actually, I think, uh, the way, the reason I prefer those kinds of moments or art that makes me feel that way is that, uh, I actually, you know, forget about myself as a person Whoa. for a moment. It's okay. like I or the world that I exist in doesn't even, you know, isn't even real. The only thing that matters right now is this thing that I'm 
observing. Whereas, you know, the other thing, the flip mm. side that we were just talking about is something that I guess it uh, kind of comes down to relatability or kind of feeling a little less lonely in Absolutely. the world or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, to me, art that I'm in awe of doesn't, you know, make me feel less lonely. It doesn't even make me think of loneliness or me oh, or anything, okay. you know, okay. it's more about how great that, that piece of art is. Um, whereas, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the loneliness and the relatability and, and that sort of thing, that's, that's a different, that's a different thing. Um, and, and certainly, you know, th there are records that I, I have felt like over the years that, you know, I relate to in some kind of way. Uh, but I mean, I, I never really feel like an album has gotten me, you know, uh, maybe I'm not listening to the right artists. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do still think, I mean, that second thing you described me, being made to feel like you're not alone is that probably describe that that's a better description of that feeling I had than saying that something gets me because I've never really liked that phrase but the idea of being not alone is is a probably a more powerful way to describe it because it's like okay it doesn't under like this this object doesn't understand me whatever that means but this other person who is here is sort of like it's it's almost like if you were looking at a, a a glass cube with some hamsters in it, and one of the hamsters is like, "It's kind of strange that we're inside this cube, right?" And the other one's like, "Holy shit, I have these thoughts too. That's crazy." Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Okay, yeah. No, I th I think it so does. Th that, it, that's probably, uh, I think that's the feeling I've been describing in a very like micro sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it seems like um, uh, maybe these are feelings that someone who considers themselves an artist is uh tends to have a little bit more or maybe somebody who is a maybe more of an emotional sort i mean i've always considered myself to be like a little um a little too pragmatic mm. you know to to kind of uh um sort of have uh i guess uh uh, those kinds of emotions, you know, those feelings of, of loneliness kind of drive me to, to be doing anything significant. Although, you know, what I think is interesting about you and sort of what you're talking about uh, when you're a kid is that um, you're not really necessarily looking for acceptance and trying to fit in with, with the kids right, at school. Or, right. you know, you're not really worried about kind of following the the life path that a lot of other people are in order to, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, portray outwardly as somebody who, you know, oh, I'm just like everybody else. I get it just like you do. Uh, you know, we're, we're all into the same stuff. We're all thinking the same things. Mm. Um, so, so you have that opinion, you have those feelings, but simultaneously you're trying to reach out and connect with people, but not through fitting in, but through. Art. Absolutely. Yeah. You described it perfectly. That's great because, um, the feelings I got from consuming those novels and even playing video games when I was an adolescent, just like Final Fantasy VII, for instance, like those those memories, ask anyone who's played Final Fantasy VII when they were an adolescent, that that mm -hmm. game is just burned into your memory. And it really just, it, it is this thing where you're, where even if you're talking about the game, you're really, you're all talking about this experience that you had. And it is kind of this bonding thing through the art and not necessarily like, you doing what your cool, your supposed uh, uh, cool kids at your school were doing. Like that's not how you were bonding. You were bonding through these other things. Mm. And there's like you're you're raising it, all these sorts of like ideas in my mind. Like I'd love to see like 
a, a cross section or sort of like how like like what kind of people think about art in these these different ways like who's thinking about it in terms of it being this thing where you have to like it, it, it obliterates your sense of ego or your sense of self is that a good thing versus is it making you feel like you are with other people and is that the good thing and who who's saying you know honestly I, th- I think the same piece of art can elicit those two reactions it just kind of depends out of it just depends on who the person is really right. and and sort of what they look for in art i guess um you know i and and maybe this is something i'm more tending to to do these days because of just kind of my job but um you know it's i'm i'm not really in the business of trying to you know, sort of uh, uh, try to analyze and think of uh, the artist behind the music I'm mm. listening to. You know, I'm just trying to think of the music that I'm listening to. Um, you know, I want to I want to figure is, this out so I can monetize it and let's let's exploit the, <laughs> exploit these guys so Coca Cola can get their money. All right, fam, let's do it. Sorry, go on. There, there, <laughs> there's probably there's probably. I'm I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a uh, 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 YouTube AdSense commercial right here. Please, so please. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to get it to be a Coca-Cola pre-roll. No, that, I, have, I have no con- I have no control over that. Just right as I'm trying to say profound things, just throw a Coke ad right in the middle of it. You know, I just feel like <laughs> the world is just you drink a Coke, you fuck. You're 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 lazy and you need to drink this to feel better. Yeah, I, I hate it when uh, commercials try to portray like this. Uh, uh, anything having to do with being meaningful, you know, oh, like like all of it, like oh, your your soft drink is just like super super important to the emotional well being of so many people out. I'm there. in tune to that now, and you can tell by the music they play when you have this chorus of people, and there's like all this twinkling, and uh, the 15 year old cute boy and the 15 year old cute girl are holding their cokes together, and like yeah, this is all warm and fuzzy, and it's like. What does this have to do with me drinking a, a sugary like fluid, man? And there's like some really just like a crappy faux commercial indie pop hanging in the background <laughs> that has like you know a bunch of like boys and girls going la 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 exactly. la la exactly you know with like some acoustic guitars and like, uh, electric guitars kind of twinkling. Like you're not fooling me, motherfucker. But the other thing I think about is like if you had a Coke commercial where it was like you see this large bloody field and just like this naked woman with one arm is crawling through it and she's like. I lost my family. I and she says I lost my family thirty times, and then she drinks a coke at the end. I'd be like, "This is the greatest thing ever made in advertising." But I'd be the only you one. Know what, like, what, what is when I was a kid, I had uh, and, and this is like maybe a, a junior high or so. I had this idea in my head that what would make for an amazing Ruffles commercial is just like a really uh, like a person in a room, sort of like a. I guess like an all white room, maybe in (laughs) like a straight jacket or something and, and just like screaming his (laughs) brains out for for 30 seconds and, and, and just like, just like have it cut to him, like, you know, screaming in a different part of the room. It's a very small room. Yeah. So maybe you could throw a, a camera up in the corner and just, you know, now he's screaming in that corner. Now he's screaming in that corner. And now he's like running into the wall or something. And, uh, and then, you know, and then just have ruffles come up or something. You know, I thought, I thought I, in junior high, I thought that would make an amazing it commercial. It still would. I would buy that bag of chips, but. <laughs> 
I would too. It's, it's I would go out and buy a bag of ruffles tomorrow. They know though that the majority of people would be like, "What the fuck is ruffles saying? This is not, it doesn't make me feel good. I don't feel I don't feel night the nice and fuzzies when I see that ruffles commercial." But I mean, I don't know. The, the internet has opened the 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 world to a lot of different weird advertising <laughs> concepts. Although they, they're they're mostly just for a comedic end, though. Right. You know, they're not trying to weird you out in kind of a Twin Peaks kind of way to try to get you to buy ruffles. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um. So so things like you know uh uh like visual art like Final Fantasy. Um, you know, is, is, is it easy to, uh, actually let's kind of center in on the final fantasy kind of thing here. Uh, final fantasy and video games. But first, first, um, but before you continue, did you play yeah. any final fantasies? Um, yeah, you know, but I caught up on it or I played it, um, on super Nintendo, okay. whereas I'm, I'm kind of getting the, the feeling that, that you, that you weren't playing it on that platform. I was, I played a four. Four, six, and seven were my my first ones, and eight actually. I went seven, okay, seven, eight, six, four. But anyway, you can continue. Sorry. So, so yeah, you know, I I I have played um, the Final Fantasies on Super Nintendo. I didn't get PlayStation. Uh, you know, I was playing like Nintendo sixty four. So you know, I wasn't playing like uh, a lot of those bigger Final Fantasy titles on 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 PlayStation, where you know a lot of people sort of. Uh, I, I know that some of them were out on Nintendo sixty four. I think uh, maybe uh, I'm wrong. I oh, think I think some of them they, were. I know they had Crystal Chronicles on GameCube, but I don't think there's ever there was ever a Final Fantasy on Nintendo sixty four. Yeah, I, I didn't end up catching up back with Final Fantasy until I got a PlayStation two, mm-hmm. and then they had like Final Fantasy ten. Oh yeah, that was a good one. And, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. Um, so although at the time there there were other RPGs, I mean I was probably more into Zelda and more into Secret of Mana. Oh, uh, okay, and, uh, okay. Secret of Mana. Chrono Trigger. Now we're fucking uh, that that's my new that's my new catchphrase. You like that? Oh now we're now fucking. Now we're fucking. Uh, okay. That that sounds like a that sounds like a good catchphrase. Yeah. Just, just say it in your in your uh, boardroom meeting. Say it in the, the laundry line. Say it when your mom calls you to dinner. Oh, so are you are you using this at work already? Yeah, now we're fucking Dominic, did you get did you get those TPS reports completed? Now we're fucking out, outside of context. You wanna you wanna get lunch? Now we're fucking. All right, I'm done. Go ahead. Let me know how that goes. That's yeah, terrible. I, I'm 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 homeless now. <laughs> my, my my catchphrase ruined my life, but I can't stop using it. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. I derailed. <laughs> what were we saying? I was going to ask you, um, this sort of stuff, uh, these video games, uh, Stephen King novels, um, stories, narratives, uh, visual art, you know, is, is this the kind of thing that, that you look back upon more fondly than maybe kind of, uh, um, I guess, uh, your, your history, uh, as a Jehovah's witness or even your cultural roots? I mean, do do you feel like you identify more, sort of just with your artistic uh, tastes and pursuits and just kind of your, I guess, your experiences with with art than, than you do, I guess, kind of uh, where you feel like you just, you know, happen to grow up culturally or religious-wise and, and that sort of thing. Um, because it, it, it seems like that sort of thing sort of very nostalgic for a lot of people. For you, it just kind of seems like, eh, it happened. Right, absolutely. And I think... Now we're about to get into some deep stuff. I'm just, I'm just gonna like dip my dip my toe in the water a little bit. There are 
Jehovah's Witnesses, they're a cult. And I I have to disassociate myself from a lot of the stuff I experience because it's just it's years, years of repressed feelings and missing out on so many things kids should. And mm. I think I, I don't look fond, back fondly on that because it was a lot of it was shitty. Like for me, the, the, just I still have nightmares about going to church. It, it happens to me like every now it's down to probably like once every two, three months. I'm locked in churches and I can't mm. escape even though I want to. So like that that part of me, like I just I do look back on it as something, as something that just happened. But all of the video games, the books, the music and, and stuff I consumed, that was my choice. And that's something yeah. you as a as a Haitian American, it's like you do feel like you're in these two worlds because it's like at at home you're eating like maimulam and platan and like griot and stuff like that, but like your friends aren't doing that, and you leave your house and you're in a different world almost. But you have these choices you can make. Like I can choose what kind of books I read. No one's telling me what to do. I can I can. Uh, play the video games I want. And even in, in those u- universes you get into, you can make choices as well. So I think that also helps. I mean, it helps people like, uh, I would imagine a lot of people like, uh, sort of assist them, themselves out of bad situations, but uh, in their childhood by sort of understanding that in these universes, you can make choices and maybe that's a reflection on your own life. But I, I do definitely look more, uh, positively on my creative endeavors and stuff that I chose to do, unlike being forced to go to church and that sort of stuff, which was just shitty, so bad. The, those sorts of nightmares, do those influence your art in any kind of way, or have they, uh, I guess, influenced any sort of narrative or anything, or is that something that, you know, you'd just rather not even indulge in when you're sort of, you know, making the choice to do something you'd rather do? I'm not actively indulging it right now, but I think... Yeah. I think it's so built into me that, I mean, let's take Quinn, for example, in hip hop RPG. Quinn is this recurring character that um, through all my stories, I think for the past 10 years, whenever I write a story, I always end up writing about like these female telepaths who are some kind of stuck, stuck in some kind of cult situation or getting killed or something like that. And this is a recurring thing. And it might be my subconscious trying to work something out. I mean, Quinn escaped Illuminatus. He might be the representation of Jehovah or something. Or he might just be I, – I, I have no idea. But I think subconsciously I'm probably working out a lot of issues in, in my art. But I do consciously want to work on these things and put them out there. Even though, honestly, it scares me because it's it's really close to me. Like these concepts of oh, what does it what does it feel like to be a Jehovah's Witness? I haven't consciously – tried to touch that i mean i'd love to after hip-hop rpg is done i'd love to try and work on that and see what it feels like because i don't i think it will be a be a unique unique experience for me and maybe the people watching because i don't i don't see many animations on youtube about what it's like to be stuck in church you know i mean Mm. i see a lot of like joke cartoons about like sonic the hedgehog but i mean like all this (laughs) other stuff is what's important to me do you know what i mean that's a, that's a hot trend, and you're not even capitalizing on it. You you haven't done not one meme Sonic animation. Man, I, I, I haven't hopped on that Sonic train, but I might I might put Sonic in church, and he doesn't want to be in church with those chaos emeralds being thrown at him. But I might just kill a few birds with one stone. Yeah, in church they they don't allow him to go fast. <laughs> you got. <it. laughs> 
They tell me I gotta go slow, but I don't want to, okay? I just want to be fast with my friend Hobson, okay? Who talks exactly like me because I can only do one type of impression. I, I saw this uh, amazing video on um, on that uh, Clickhole YouTube oh, love, channel. Love Clickhole, click, click the uh, the sister site to The Onion, where they just kind of make that fake clickbait site. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 video is about how this amazing new video game um, was breaking, uh, I guess, gender barriers with this really amazing uh, female lead character, and it was just a bunch of screenplay of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> It was just a bunch of screenplay of Sonic and Tails, and uh, the 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 woman uh, sort of narrating it was like, you know, Sonic is breaking the gender barrier by uh, featuring a beautiful blue woman who goes very fast and collects rings. And, and she was also saying that the uh, blue, the beautiful blue woman who was the uh, uh, the protagonist in Sonic was also deaf. So Sonic the Hedgehog was uh, uh, as a woman and deaf as well, uh, fighting not only gender barriers but disability barriers as well. Um, and it was just uh, just in, insane. Um, Clickhole is doing God's work. Clickhole is doing God's work. Um, so uh, uh, I, I want to talk about the hip-hop RPG, but just before we do that, right. I, I do want to talk about video games specifically uh, and dive into that a little bit more because I feel like, you know, that, that influences, you know, sort of what you do in the hip-hop RPG so That's much. Sure. Um, so so I, I imagine as a kid, uh, you w- was there any kind of limitation to the stuff that you could be playing, Whoa, and, you know, on, on video games or, you know, were video games something uh, that you took to later as an adult when you had more control over your life or? That's a great question. All right. Um, so I was raised by my aunt and my aunt, she, she like pretty much ruled with an iron fist in every realm of my life except for what I consumed on the computer and with books. And it was one of those things where it's like, she, she's an Haitian immigrant. She has enough, uh, enough like worries trying to take care of two kids with, with her, her job or whatever. And yeah. she's like, okay, these kids are on the computer. They're reading books. I don't have to worry about it. They're preoccupied. Right. Meanwhile, at least they're not outside gangbanging. They're not fucking girls. They're not, they're not stealing. They're doing fine. Priorities. Right. But I'm sitting there reading books when I'm six, like in the seventh grade about uh, dudes like, killing men, women and children and just running around in different universes, like people dying and all kinds of weird shit happening. But I was just loving it. And I think so there weren't restrictions. Every once in a while, she would she would see us playing like a first person shooter or a uh a Final Fantasy game, and she'd be like, "This is demonic. What is this? What is you doing?" And we'd just be like, hmm, and she'd be like oh. "Just shake her head and just leave." And to this mm. day, like she recently threw out all my video games that I had at home, all my video games, DVDs, uh. and comics, because she said this demon stuff. It's like, oh, fuck. Mm. But I, I would say there are only like two or three times I can remember where she actively took a book I was reading and threw it out because it was demonic Lord of the Rings being one of them. And that was why I never finished that series because I was so furious that she took my fellowship of the ring book and threw it away. So there were restrictions, but there also weren't like if she had been a super good Jehovah's witness Christian, I would be in trouble right now. I probably wouldn't be talking to you because she would have been burning all of my video games. (laughs) 
shit. Good for her on that. Okay, so 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 you did at least have uh, enough time and enough exposure and uh, uh, you know and, and enough leeway to sort of play something like Final Fantasy VII. Oh, um, and uh, you know, out of out of all the different artistic mediums that you were into when you were younger, I mean, were were video games something that you felt the most drawn toward? I mean, uh, you know, if, if there's uh, another thing that aside from animation that I think, you know, our generation had the unique, uh, I guess, kind of position to be like first exposure on an extreme degree. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely animation. And then there's video games, you know, which I mean, of course, had been around for decades before. But I mean, video games really flourished uh, in the 90s, not only in terms of just their popularity, but also uh, the graphic quality as well. Mm. You know, you could, even though, you know, the graphics aren't as good as they are today. I mean, you know, that was the first decade where you could see like blood and mortal combat yeah, or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And you were able to make your own choices in these games. You could, and nowhere near as much as now, but that sure. was a big thing. It's like, if I want to play this way, I can do that. Um, yeah. Video games are probably the biggest like artistic medium that, that had an effect on me, even though I, I watched a lot of cartoons and movies as well. But um, video games are definitely like uh, it, it definitely affected me on a, a really powerful level. Just being being involved in all those universes and making choices and uh, yeah, it's big stuff. Uh, what, aside from Final Fantasy, are there any other video game franchises that that have uh, a really strong impact on sort of what you're doing with the hip hop RPG? <laughs> uh. I think I'm pulling the most from that, but I think there are other, you know, that have an impact on the Bob RPG. I I don't think the I don't think so. That's got to be the the biggest one. I mean, yeah. I'm okay. Okay. Well, then that's that's fair. Um. So, so what is it about? I guess Final Fantasy, especially you know this this kind of older era of the franchise mm-hmm. uh, that made you kind of want to recreate it, kind of in this new animation you know with these sprites and 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 also uh you know were you as enamored with uh i guess the the it's it seems like somebody who's so young who is uh, really drawn to books you know rpgs like final fantasy would be right up your alley because it's so story intensive just reading i I mean there i i wasn't as big into rpgs as i was other games that were maybe a little bit more action driven but i remember uh uh, my father liked video games as well, and uh, I, rem- I remember if I was ever at a point where I was playing an RPG, he would just be like, Ugh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this is like boring as hell. You, 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 pressed the, you pressed the fight option, and then he went to go hit him, and then it said like 53. What the fuck what, is that, what, you know? What's 53? You should be dead. <laughs> Why aren't you playing WWF? Yeah, and you know, and and I like those games as well. And you know, uh, my, my dad was uh, a Mario Kart addict. <laughs> Lo- loved some Mario. You shoot Kart. up Mario Kart. He was just on the streets. Oh, he he, he, he was Kart. just he he just liked uh, some 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 racing games. Okay. You know, uh, but uh, you know that that was just a really you know fun, fast, easy, straightforward concept to grasp. Mm. And you know, sometimes he could kick my ass in it. So you know that he liked it. You know, whereas like an RPG. <laughs> It wasn't, uh, uh, you know, it it didn't have that competitive right. sort of nature it's to it, and you know, competing. it's it's about you experiencing this universe on your own. No, it's it's kind of like the video game's answer to a book, right? You know, and 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 the thing is, you know, uh, 
uh, if, if I wanted a book, I'd just go read a book, you know, I, but, 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 but still, um, you know, I, I imagine you were really enamored with the, the story of, uh, of, of these final fantasy games. Absolutely. Because it's, I mean, this isn't, that wasn't Mario's shit. I mean, just playing, playing final fantasy seven. Like I picked that up on PC like a year after the game came out and I just knew sort of what it was about. And I, I didn't, I wasn't even aware of what I was getting into it. Just, so you go from, you go from Pong to Super Mario Brothers, which was, uh, Super Mario Brothers and, and Sonic is what I was playing when I was a little kid until I was like, uh, like 12, 13 and I got Final Fantasy seven. And then all of a sudden you're involved in this story that is so deep that you're spending 70 hours on it and main characters you you grow with them, you train them up, you give them items and sort of understand at, at least on a superficial level who they are. Like you you sort of add all these different like character characteristics to them. And in Final Fantasy VII specifically, they kill one of the biggest main characters. And that was a huge mm. thing. And I was just sitting there like this is a beautiful experience for them to just like you don't get that in Zelda. You don't get like uh like Link dying high, halfway through or something. It actually wouldn't be Link. It'll be more like Princess Zelda. Yeah, the storyline isn't anywhere near as dramatic. Right, right. And, and the thing is, you know, while Link, while it may be a great game, storyline-wise, it's pretty cliche. Absolutely. All of them are. I mean, I, I still... Whereas, Ocarina of Time was really good. But uh, it is still yeah. really cliche. It's like, he is the good, great adventurer, and he does good things because he's good. And, ah, get the fuck out of here. That shit. Yeah, the, I mean the Final Fantasy characters, as far as storyline goes, they're they're definitely more complex than any kind of other major RPG out yeah. there. So I mean, it's it's it seems like you know that complexity and and those sorts of storylines have really kind of impacted what you're doing over here with the art with the hip hop RPG. I really hope so. Which you know models itself after a lot of those older sprite based RPG type games and. Uh, features a cast of characters that are just pulled out of mainstream contemporary hip hop, yep. uh, you know, featuring Kanye, Kendrick Lamar, Drake, and right now you're five episodes into yep, it. Five in. And and is is this the kind of thing that you know how many episodes you're going to go until you're done, or are you just kind of doing it as it sort of requires? You know, do you know how it's going to end right now? Yes. Um... I am like 95% sure how long it's going to be. I want to do 10 episodes total. I'm working on six right now. Okay. And I okay. I want to stop it for my sake because I know um, originally I had like 16, 17 episodes written out. And I, at some point I had to stop like, <laughs> this is crazy. You have to stop. So you had a bunch of episodes just like storyline-wise written yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And this is just – Before you've even begun animating. Exactly. And this is just like we, we were talking about with the RPG. Like you just – you play so many of these games that are so deep and have all of these these tendrils of story coming off of them. And I was reading like, you know, a Stephen King book that's like nine books long, like one series. And you just, I, I, I'm, I'm emulating that because that's where I come from. And I, I love mm. long, convoluted stories, but I have to rein myself in. That's one of the hardest things to do. But I know I'll, I'll also thank myself for it because this is a very long project. I'm used to very short stories like, boom, get in and out. But this is a, a kind of a huge undertaking for me. But I, I know where this is going, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, you're you're pretty much dead set on the idea of there being just like ten more episodes. Yeah, maybe eleven. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm dead set on it because 
and this kid I'm working with, Uji Rocket, uh, from from the UK, he's really good at. He'll tell me when with some ideas. He'll be like, "Yeah, you know what? Maybe you could trim that off if you want to." But then he'll give me some awesome ass idea, like, "Oh yeah, what if?" What if Action Bronson is like riding in a desert and it's like a, a post-apocalyptic wasteland? I'm like, that's so fucking awesome, but we don't we don't have the resources for this. We don't have the time, so I I, I really have to rein myself in. I'd love to keep this thing going, but I also want to move on to I want to move on to shorter stories that don't have to do with hip hop RPG at some point because this is just I I love doing this and this is I feel like it's my greatest story work and animation work, but hmm. it's a lot of work. It's a lot. Are you at the point where you're? Oh my god! Are you gosh. at the point where you where, where you're sick of it yet? I'm not sick of it, but sometimes, mm. sometimes it feels like I just want. I just wish it could be done, but I know, mm. I know what it looks like in my head, but I also know that realistically, it's like I'm gonna need two years to take. It's like you're taking the biggest dump of your life. <laughs> you're like you're saying like I have to get this out of my fucking head. That's what it's like. That's a really great comparison. Yeah, it's just a steamy shit you can look at online. Sorry, this is, <laughs> I'm really selling this, aren't I? These guys are just out there clicking. They're clicking to go check it out right now. So so for anybody who's listening right now, and, and, and this is one of the main reasons I invited you onto the mm. show to talk about the hip-hop RPG, um, because this is sort of what you're putting most of your creative juices behind right now. Yeah, it's um, pumping um, a lot into this. Uh, so, you know, can you sort of give the listeners a bit of a, an elevator pitch as to what they can kind of expect or sort of, uh, you know, why they need to go check this series out? All right. I can say right now, there's probably, I think there, you've never seen anything like this. I can say that. Yes, I can say that. I mean, it, it is true. It is super specific. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, imagine if our right, elevator pitch, we're in the elevator thing. I'm, I'm pushing uh, floor 13, whatever. We're going to die. So as, as this elevator is rising, we're dying. This animation is about you picking up a game in a pawn shop, a game that never existed. You're the only one who has it. You put it in your Super Nintendo. It's about a bunch of rappers fighting Illuminati aliens in a post-apocalyptic future. It's like two worlds colliding that you would never think would collide. Ever. Yeah, and that's that's the best part of it to me. It's like and 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 the thing is, the people who listen to my or watch my show and listen to my podcast, uh, you know, who who consider themselves to be music nerds and specifically hip hop nerds, and you know, and and love their Kendrick Lamar's and their Lupe Fiascos and and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, uh, you know, I it, I think that you, they're going to enjoy this because the thing is, you know, there's also a lot of music humor on it as well or just kind of you know you're you're taking these real life people you're putting them into this completely made up fantasy land but you're you're sort of applying characteristics and and sort of personality traits that you know that these artists have at least you know in in the art that they create and you're applying it to this you know fantasy story absolutely like i mean the the biggest ones for me i i each character for me had to have a nugget of, like you said, some truth to them in terms of how they how they behave or cliches about them, just being funny about it. Because I can get I can get super dark and have things be like just blood and sadness everywhere, but I, I needed to take I needed to make it as funny as possible in this dark world. And I mean, the biggest one that was just a gimme. It was just so easy, and it, I think is the strongest uh, characterization is like Drake is a white mage. 
he heals people. That's his thing. He doesn't fight. He's only concerned about making sure you have enough health and MP to go on. And he's like a, a peacekeeper as people are fighting. He's like, stop you all. We need to hold on. Like that type of thing. But that's so uncharacteristic of his beefing now. He's, he's beefing. Yeah, but I think that's all – I think it also makes it funny. It's like he's his white mage but he's still like – you're you're right though, it, but it's like imagine him. Imagine a white mage is just trying to act mean. It's like he is he is beef. No, it's 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 true though because the thing is, uh, you know, the 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 problem with that is, and we could talk about this, is that you know you're sort of uh, coming up with characters based off of these artists <laughs> who you know are are evolving in their own right, way. Right, right. You know, uh, I mean, when you when you initially started this series, uh, you know, and, and Kendrick is sort of the lead role and he's saving the mm-hmm. world and and all that. Uh, I mean, th- when you started this series, To Pimp a Butterfly wasn't even right, out. Right, right. You know, so I mean, you're you're trying to come up with this cohesive storyline that goes from beginning to end. You're asking the audience to buy into yeah. it, while simultaneously, uh, you know, these people are in the public eye and they're sort of doing things that have nothing to do with this story that you're pulling together. Yeah, and I, I have thought about that. I I am a slave to current events. Like if someone puts out a new album, like in episode four. Um, I don't like shit. I just, I don't go outside. Had just come out, and I was like, I, I want to use that. I gotta, yeah. I gotta put that in somehow. And in the next episode, when when Earl comes out, I I incorporated that into his character, and it it just happened to be perfect, uh, perfect mm-hmm. for it. But I do, um, yeah. Things are it's it's to me. It seems to be living and breathing. It's and it's not gonna be just one thing. Like if if uh, Kendrick comes out with an album you know, six months from now and it's, and some, something is just too perfect for me not to use. Like I have to incorporate it. So it's also this, this is the most challenging story I've written. And I, I don't really feel like sometimes it's super challenging. And I have to sit there like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, how am I going to make this work and make it current? But it's, it's super fun. And it's also like a challenge. It's a big challenge for me to figure out how do I work these things in? It's like, how do I work into pimp a butterfly? You know, I I did luck out because in episode two, I I made the idea of a mind worm before To Pimp a Butterfly came out. And it was hmm. – and I love that there are parallels between this giant worm that you're inside that's providing energy to something and the idea of this caterpillar consuming things and eventually turning into a butterfly. I mean, it's, it's like loosely – I guess there's some loose parallels there, but I lucked out, I think. People yeah. might think I did that on purpose, but I didn't at the time. It just kind of worked out. You you should you should say that you did do it on purpose because you you knew <laughs> Kendrick was calling you and he's like, you know, you, you already know what he sounds like. You do a perfect impression. Yeah, he called me actually. I, I have he recording. called you and he said, "What what should I call this next album?" You know, I, I'm really inspired by this mind worm that you, that you've pulled. Dude, I have to know, man. This album is too cool. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's dog shit. My impression is dog shit. Dear Spectre's right. He's sitting there turning in his grave right now because respect is dead. I killed him. You, you know, honestly, like I, I feel like <laughs> your your Kendrick uh, impersonation is is dead on in terms of you know the uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, like know, a little, I, I guess a little bit of like a Frenchman, just like a little bit, like. But I just don't know. How to, yeah, but I feel like you take it ten steps further and you just make it a French. Accent. I do, but it, it makes me laugh though how bad it is because especially like when you're making someone like D respect angry, it's great anytime you can do that. <laughs> But um, I, I know it's shit and I know it probably annoys people. So that makes me happier, too, that it's not as accurate. Um, because you brought him up, let's just go into the, the podcast a little yep. bit. The, the podcast that you have with D Respect called the Double D's yeah, podcast, man. which I will link you guys down to in the description. And, and I'll, I'll just put it bluntly. 
they just kind of talk. Yeah, man. You know, and it's a lot of current event stuff and, and just kind of things that they just have uh, some personal feelings on and, you know, could be some media stuff, could be politics, could be whatever. They just kind of talk it out. Um, you know, however, the thing that kind of perplexes me, and, and this is really all I want to ask you about the podcast, right. and you can kind of say whatever else you want about it after this is, I just kind of feel like you and D uh, of the podcast world are just like, you know, just, just basically the odd couple of the podcast world. I mean, you know, he's, he's basically Klugman and, and you're Oscar, you know, you're kind of the cleaner, nicer, more well-mannered, more cultured, mm. you know, uh, just, I guess, kind of more well-meaning guy while D is just kind of this brutish, you know, weird, gross, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, a little bit more vulgar though. You're vulgar yourself. Vulgar. Um, you know, but, but I guess you kind of have a bit of a, uh, an artsy flair to you. It just kind of seems like to me on the surface that you two just have so little in it common. It seems that way, doesn't it? Because there are so many moments during the podcast, you know, he's just like, ugh, that's just some dumb, you know, shit that you're yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. You're just into some dumb indie or whatever shit. I haven't heard of that artist. Who cares? You know, or uh, or when he's like trying to talk about sports and he's like, you're not even into this stuff. So, you know, just yeah, shut up. Yeah, very often I'm not into it. But that, that's the thing, though. And the, 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 the great thing about him is he's deceptive. He wants you to think that he's some, some meathead jock, but he's not. He's super into the same stuff I am. And you, you'll get mm-hmm. these moments where those are the, my favorite moments of the podcast are when we're both we both meet at this this point where we're both talking about super abstract weird art shit because ultimately we are very similar but i think i, I think we do i mean it, it's kind of like we fall into these hyper uh characterized versions of ourselves because that makes it that makes it funny because we can shit on each other but like we are very similar though yeah, I mean, it just kind of seems like both of you have these primary interests, which don't really line up, but you have a lot of secondary interests that uh, that maybe go a little unnoticed, unless you've listened to many episodes of the podcast mm-hmm. that are very much in line with one another. It seems like both of you really like, you know, um, uh, discussion, podcasts, yeah. comedians, philosophy, uh, and, and it seems like that's, you know, you have enough second tier interests together. Uh, uh, that that the podcast actually goes over really nicely, uh, Thanks, and that you can kind of maintain these discussions, uh, and and you both kind of end up, uh, I guess, butting heads a little bit on kind of the the these more major things, but you kind of have this underlying foundation underneath it all that kind of keeps it all flowing. Yeah, definitely. I think it feels like doing the podcast is like some somehow it's like you're. You're jumping off of a cliff into this abyss, but you know that at some you're gonna land. You're gonna land on your feet every time. Having a having a conversation with him, it clicks. It's always clicked really well from the beginning, and it's like we could talk about. I feel like we could talk about anything for a really long time. It, we, we probably are, are losing people <laughs> when we're talking about Belody or some shit by hour three. But I mean, that's that's really the power of your respect is he can take something. And really run with it, and I can, I can be like, oh shit, that's great! You bought up this thing. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. super fucking fun. You guys should watch the show or listen to it. There's no, listen there's no watching. It. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like he's uh, having fun to it, to having fun with it as well, to the point where he's not even you know keeping up his usual YouTube uh, content prior to meeting you, uh, which is originally what brought you two together to begin with. I think he's cooking up some. Uh, 
some major stuff. And um, I don't know. I think the, the decision to put it on his main channel, it's like we're, we'll get some some bigger viewership. Um, I think we should probably put something back on the DDOT podcast channel to show like, yeah, we went here, blah, blah, blah. But we're just trying things out. Probably. Yeah. We're just trying things out. We're moving around. And um, yeah. Ultimately, sort of what what are – I mean you can't speak for – D, but I can't. I can't right actually. Now, I'll speak. I'll speak for. Oh, can you? Okay. Uh, so speak for him yes. right now and tell me what the ambitions for the podcast are correctly and just kind of you know your your relationship together. Um, our relationship together. We're gonna get married, probably, yeah. and that's legal yes, now. So. Yes, legal. <laughs> but um, our ambitions. I think just to just to keep going and having the good discussions we have. Um. Having more guests on, you're welcome whenever. Get, uh, making it bigger, uh, just bigger in sense of, in the sense of getting more listeners. Um, hopefully, just I don't know, really just taking it wherever it goes, as long as it's fun and we have good conversations, which is just that's inevitable because it's been a blast. We've had great guests. We've had some of the most fun discussions I've had. Like we've we're on episode like 118, which is we've talked for hundreds of hours at this point i mean including i know it seems like we don't uh it seems very scatterbrained and we both are but beforehand we do have an idea of where things are gonna go so i know things uh yeah so we do we do talk a lot outside of it about where things are gonna go um I'm really proud of our skits. I think we have really super weird ass skits you guys can listen to. The skits have gotten funnier over the Oh great, man, because we And and more detailed too. It kind of seems like more discussion goes into the skits. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We do every time we come in with like, yeah, what if what if you're a zombie and some shit's happening? I don't think we've done any zombie things. We do have Mapluktu, which is we've created a lot of crazy ass characters on this show on the fly. We create like Mapluktu is this this Haitian warlord demon who really likes nice kicks. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wish Mapluktu has, has to come up a little more often. But yeah, a lot of weird stuff. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think you guys could actually, you know, just probably put out some videos here and there of just those sketches, you know, yeah. or every once in a while just come up with a standalone an audio sketch. Um, I, I think that would be really cool. Um, so, you know, you guys really seem to be really good at it and it's, and it's sort of, a uh, the highlight of, of, uh, the episode sometimes. Thanks, man. Although I think my favorite part of any, uh, not only a recent episode, but any episode is when <laughs> D was trying to tell the story about the guy who walked oh. into his store with the Blu-ray <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're like, why are you behind the counter? Yeah. And he's like, listen to me. And he's like, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why are you behind the counter? I legitimately didn't understand. He's telling me this story, and I'm like, why I are know you, you didn't understand, which is why it was so. Yeah, funny. yeah. He was in like a, 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 he was in like this, this store trying to buy something, and then like I didn't understand why he was behind the counter of something, and I just, I, I have to go back and listen to that. That would actually be a really good time to make a skit or something. I, I've, out of it. I've replayed it numerous really? times. Oh, because we got to isolate well, that. We got to do it. Well, I mean, I ha- I've listened to so many episodes that I know what he does for a job. I don't realize why you didn't sort of realize what he was talking did, about right from the get go. It. It's just like I had a brain fart. But you know, at some point, I gotta admit, I, I knew we had a bit at some point, like. Probably like a minute into me saying that I didn't, I didn't get it. I just started laughing because he was so bad that I didn't understand it. I knew that even if I did understand it at that point, I was probably gonna push it a little harder. 
because it just it just ends up being funny. You just find all these little bits and these little caverns in your mind that you can go down in a conversation. And then, and then at the very end, I think you guys did like a, a presidential sketch or something, and then you were like, "I don't know why my opponent is yeah, behind yeah. the podium." <laughs> that was a good one. God damn, that was a good one. Uh, so yeah, def- definitely check out their podcast. It's a very, a very fun time. And and to end off, I, I would be remiss if if I didn't at least ask you at least a couple uh music questions so that so that people in the comments could make fun of you for for not uh having a patrician sort of next level just very high level tastes like everybody else bring that shit home uh, who, who watches my show let's go man let's go <laughs> let's fuck right i, I now just we're, no no now we're fucking now we're fucking now we're you forgot your own fucking catchphrase now we're fucking you fucking loser you forgot your own fucking catchphrase. Own... you said, you said, you said, said your own fuck. catchphrase Is wrong what i said let's fuck. yes you just said let's fuck. <laughs> the, like you fucked up your own catchphrase. See how that works in the streets, my friend. <laughs> Ooh, Jesus. I was just going to ask you, you know, sort sort of what uh, you know. We're 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 at the uh, the second half of the year. You know, uh, list season's probably going to be coming up really soon, oh, uh, unless the world ends next week. It, and it um, will by my hand, but and it too. will. And it will. So, you know, let us know right now what your favorite albums of 2015 are so that everybody knows that before they die, you know, some of what your favorite records of this year have been thus far. Okay. Um, is To Pimp a Butterfly 2015 or 2014? It's 2015. Bro, put that shit at the top, all right? Okay. And then put Depression Cherry. Okay. Wow. You really love it. I love it. Beach House, man. Are you excited for the next record? They're coming out with yeah, another. Yeah, thank you, Lucky Stars. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm charged up right now. Charged up like Drake. Okay. My hands are glowing like Sonic the Hedgehog. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready to go. Depression Cherry. Throw in Currents from Tame Impala. Okay, I love cool. Currents. And um, uh, I think, I think those are the big ones. Yeah, those three. I, I know that you saw them this year. You saw Death Grips this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, so. You know, where, where where does the powers that be sort of sit on your, your favorites list? Um, I've only listened to them like twice. <laughs> oh, you're not, you're not as crazy about not it? Not really. No? Not really. I mean, I, I got to listen to it some more, man. Like, I, I really don't. Yeah, it really didn't. I got to listen to it to more. That's, that's, I get into these moments with albums. I, I will choose like four or five albums and just listen mm-hmm. to them over and over again. It's hard for me. Like, mm-hmm. of course, I love the singles for the powers that be. Like, I I listen to. All right, I'm going to say this. I'm going to sound like a fucking plebe for saying. But like, I listen to On GP and I'm like, this to me sounds like. It's like a crazy beautiful symphony like it's just it's it's almost like and i, I feel like an asshole because i'm saying this yet, yet i only listen to the album like twice but like on gp for me is like it's a beautiful crazy song i, I imagine when i listen to that it sounds like the u.s it sounds like i i, I get this picture of the u.s being um like an idealized but somehow post-apocalyptic form of the U.S. Like you'd, you'd hear in some kind of alternate universe commercial about U.S. propaganda. I, does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. But anyway, yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, so, so, but but those other albums that you've listed, you you've been returning to those albums a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I listen to them all the time. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've returned to a uh, uh, to Pimp a Butterfly tons of times. So um, good. Although I I will say. Um, I myself haven't returned to uh, the powers that be at least not many times after uh, the release of the record, I, at least for maybe like, um, you know, I, the album came out. I listened to it a ton of times to review it, loved it, thought it was amazing, thought it complemented the first disc of the album really well, Jenny mm. Death. Um, you know, really enjoyed it. And then after, uh, I dropped the review, maybe like a week or so after I dropped the review, it's not that I didn't like the album or that I didn't like any other of the other death grips albums. Uh, but I just, I think I had burnt myself out on them. Goddamn. I really did. And, and, and then I went to go see them live and, um, for, for the second time, two motherfuckers, two. Not a lot of people can say that. Two, two times. Death Grips two times. Two. Now we're fucking. Now we're fucking. Oh, hold up, hold up. MC Ride saying my catchphrase. Now we're fucking. All right, all right. Continue. Um, and then and then after that, I kind of feel like uh, I did enjoy the show. I thought the show was great. Uh, but uh, uh, I I think that kind of solidified the mood that I was in, where I was just like, man, I'm burnt out on Death Grips right mm. now. I'm just like praying they don't come out with anything like for for like 2 years or something um and uh and and it wasn't until i think just uh the other day uh, you could you could check and see uh uh on my twitter account uh when i was listening to them the other day at the gym i was just like you know i should i should listen to this again um and then i didn't i was like yeah this is great oh man back in. but yeah i i had essentially burnt myself out on them for like a minute and i just didn't even want to listen to any death grips like you know i i'd look at the money store and be like Ugh, that thing again oh, like oh man i've listened to that thing so many fucking times but that's the thing you know it's like you could as as much as you might enjoy stuff you know, you could really burn yourself out on stuff. And the thing is, that's that's kind of a position I haven't really put myself in for for a long time because there are a lot of records that I remember I'd play over and over and over when I was in high school and albums that I think are still really good today. But, you know, even today, I don't even really, you know, have any kind of intense passion to listen to any of them because I just played them to death uh, uh, when I was in high school and college. You know, I just kind of know them like the the back of my head, the, the back of my hand. If I ever want to listen to them, all I need to do is fucking think about yeah, it. No, it's, you it's know, it's weird feelings. Um, you just... Yeah, you burn it out. I'm I'm getting there with. Uh, I think I passed that with Pimp a Butterfly. I still listen to it a lot, but I'm like, oh man. And then I, I, you get to the point where you start skipping tracks, and you're like, oh geez, <laughs> gotta move on to something else. You know what I mean? I I I heard you in the podcast once. You were like uh, talking about some whack lines on that record. What did I say? Uh, I think you pointed out the the line where. Uh, he said, I remember in the podcast, you said this line was whack when he goes, uh, uh, he gave us Billy Jean. You think he touched those kids? Yeah, terrible. <laughs> no, I don't like it. Not, not that, not that, listen, it's, it's not that I, I, I agree or disagree. <laughs> it's just that I thought the way that you put that was really, funny. it's, it's a shit, it's a whack line because it's like, it's like, that's the reason Billy Jean is, is the reason why he didn't touch those kids. That song he made means that it's like—is that what you're gonna say in court, Kendrick? Like, Your Honor, I I can prove to you that he did not touch those kids, man. Check out this album. Listen to that shit, man. And the judge is like, you know what? This shit is hot. Like, I messed my case, motherfucker. Well, it's true. It is really it is shit logic. Yeah. 
It sounds good, of as, course, coming out of it. As much, it's, it sounds great, and as much as I love that yeah. record, it's not good logic. It's not. I mean, you know, Kendrick could go out and uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, kill a bunch of people tomorrow, but, you know, no, nobody would say in court, it's like, hey, man, he gave us to Pimp a Butterfly. You, you think he did that? You think he killed all those people? No, no, I you think he did those that? People, man. Listen to this fucking album. And the jury's like, <laughs> you know what? Acquit this man. What a- <laughs> Hey, I mean, at least I honestly, like, I wish he would have just come out and made the argument that if you make an, a piece of art that's great enough, it should just, you know, completely uh, uh, just uh, exonerate you from any bad that you do. I mean, that, that's basically what he's saying. I mean, like, if, if you're if you're a great, successful <laughs> artist, you should just be allowed to just laws should not apply. He touched those kids. What if he's wait, I'm about to, I'm about to blow your mind. I'm about to blow your dick right now. Oh, right? shit. So what if he's saying? He gave us Billy Jean. Do you think he touched those kids? What if he's saying that? You you really think he touched those kids? Listen to this. What if he's actually saying, "Listen to Billy Jean." What? There's there's some stuff in here, man. What? what do you think he touched those kids? Like, what if it's a question? Hmm. Of course, it's not. But that's that's alternate universe. <laughs> that's alternate universe, Kendrick. Questioning Kendrick, Inquisitor Kendrick. <laughs> Inquisitor Kendrick for the last. I'm, I'm I'm imagining I'm imagining an alternate universe where the only thing that's different is that line is is just that the only the word the whole universe is created. It's like all this potential of stuff. People could be flying. Cancer and AIDS could be gone. Like no, it's just one line and one album. Is and it's not even the line is that is that different. The lyrics are the same, but the thing is, he says it with a different inflection. Oh my god. He says it with he says it with the inflection of a question rather than an exclamation. We figured out interdimensional travel. Go to this place and we get there. It's like what is? Uh, there's no difference. We spent all the resources on Earth to try and find a new world that's different and nothing. Yeah. And then someone discovers the difference. Like, says, oh, I've got it. Goddamn. <laughs> nuts, man. I, I think we're going to leave it at that. Uh, my guest, Dominic Rabrin, thank you for coming on the uh, show and talking about what it is you do. And, and thank you for giving us this wonderful catchphrase, which I'm sure is going to uh, catch on on the internet. Listen to your fellow. Now we're fucking on the Needle Drop podcast. Thank you for having me here. And thanks for supporting me being a friend. And uh, it's really fun to be in a different position. Like I, I always feel weird being interviewed. It feels like being in a, a spaceship that's not of my creation, but this is a really fun spaceship. This is a fun space you created. You're really good at interviewing. This is great. Great questions. Awesome stuff. Um, love your work, of course. Good stuff, man. Now we're fucking. Now we're fucking. God damn it. Now, hey, I'm going to bring them together. Now we're fucking forever. 